Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. We're going to be starting verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can consider those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. I would like to say that uh, the next two Sundays we're going to be taking time out to emphasize missions and the different missionaries that we try to support and believe in. John Anderson next week, uh, representing the Bay Area Rescue Mission, uh, will be sharing. And at the same time, Katie Anderson, uh, who works with the ministry She is Safe, uh, will be sharing a, just a brief 10-minute uh, update on her efforts to rescue women uh, throughout the world. And so you're in for a treat to hear John and know the ministry of the mission down on 2nd McDonald and the whole Bay Area. And uh, then the next week after that, we're going to have Manny Fernandez of World Link Ministries, and he's going to speak. And uh, we're also going to get a report from Clayton Hazel, hopefully on that Sunday, uh, his trip to Dominica uh, to tell us what they 
met there, how they ministered there, and uh, you had a part in sending him there, and so he's going to give us a report. Uh, we're going to try to confine him because it'd take all week to hear all that he experienced in that time. I want to speak on uh, the reasons for our ministry, the reasons for our ministry. As you read 2 Corinthians, it is the uh, most heartbreaking of all the New Testament epistles because it's the uh, greatest conflict and personal rejection that Paul goes through uh, because he's talking to a church that has been invaded with a minority party that's trying to oust him, trying to get the people not to believe the gospel he taught them. Uh, And the way they're doing that is trying to prove he's an imposter, that he is uh, less than an apostle, and uh, he's contemptible in speech, 2 Corinthians 10. Matter of fact, he's contemptible in appearance. And so, I mean, so painfully harmful things are being said to a church that he birthed and that he uh, suffered to plant. And so throughout this book, uh, many a pastor, many a pastoral book has been written on the sufferings of ministry, and they've used Second Corinthians. The issue is, why didn't he quit? Why don't you just quit? You don't have to put up with the Corinthians. You don't have to put up with being stoned. You don't have to be a stone, not like we use it, friend, real stones. You don't have to put up with being beat up. You don't have to put up with holding on to a log in the Mediterranean for three days and three nights. If you read chapter 2, chapter 6, chapter 11, you say only an idiot would keep up at a vocation in which this kind of suffering, criticism, and pain exists. What motivated such ministry? What are the reasons that kept Paul going? And maybe we can borrow from those very same reasons and motives for why you should continue. Because you may want to throw in the towel. You may teach a class for four weeks and said, I don't have time to take care of brats. I got more things to do with my time than serving around here, serving anywhere. You get criticism, you get this, you get that. I barely finished my sermon, and a woman came up to tell me off about what she didn't like about it. So why do I put up with that? Well, that's so minute. It's a poor, poor comparison to this apostle. Four reasons I see in this chapter for his ministry and why he doesn't throw in the towel. First one is he fears the Lord. Look at verse 11. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Now, the fear is born out of, no doubt, verse 10, I must stand before the judge ultimately for everything I do. All my ministry, all my efforts, 
All my motives are going to appear before him. There's no hiding place. And I tremble at the thought I must give account to him who called me on the Damascus Road, not before church board, not before a congregation, but before the Lord of the church. He will evaluate me. And he's going to evaluate what I've done since he called me his own. He's going to evaluate me. I fear him. I fear him. Now, just to get a handle on this idea, I don't think many people know it's all over the place. Proverbs 1.7, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. But the phrase came back all the way to the patriarchal period. And Walter Kaiser, uh, Old Testament theology, gives a beautiful summary of what it meant. God's normative word from Mount Sinai to all Israel is directed towards the same goal that he had set for the patriarchs. Fear of God, which produced obedience through trust in God's promises, God's word. He goes on to quote Deuteronomy 4, chapter 5, 6, 2, 6, 13, 24, 8, 6, 10, 12, 10, 20, 13, 4, on and on. Fear of the Lord was not some worked up feeling. But it was the result of hearing, learning, and responding to God's word. The fear of the Lord went hand in hand with, these were like synonyms, keeping his commands, walking after him, serving him, loving him, cleaving to him. And here Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, I hold him in such reverential awe. I've heard his voice. I have received him. I saw him on the Damascus Road. I've come to love him. I've come to obey him. I've come to serve him. I've come to say, I am the servant. You are the master. I know the fear of the Lord. God is not a rabbit's foot. He is an awesome I am God. Not an I was God, an I am God. I fear him. reading a book by Mark Sayers talking about the disappearance of the church. He's talking about, we talk about young people leaving the church as though it's a new phenomenon. It's been going on for years, and it will continue as the West uh, goes atheistic and throws God out. There's not a thing you're going to do about it. He says, uh, atheists in London have started 450 churches. It's a new kind of church, and they've got 450 in London, and they're going worldwide. And and what it is, it's basically church without God because they like the potlucks. uh, They like free donuts. They they like community. They like being for, for the social gathering, the people aspect of it. And they said, we're just like a church. We meet at certain times. Uh, we gather. They probably took collections for maybe uh, certain causes, whatever. But it's a whole new brand. We're a church. We just happen to believe in God talk is not in the place. There's no Bible in the place. There's no Jesus in the place. There's none of God in it, but we are a church. And he goes on to say, 
much of the church in America has godless Christianity uh, because the atheism in our culture is subtle. It goes this way. There is no longer a, what you would call a theocentric center that says God is the core of justice, ethics, morals. Uh, Any God reference has been eliminated, and in its place we have put man-centeredness. The most important thing, and not just man-centeredness, you-centeredness. It's moved in if it doesn't meet my specification, if it's not bring me pleasure, if it does not all this kind of meism, I, me, my, uh, I don't want it because I'm living for self. And that is the new atheism. And it's totally legitimate. And it feels good. It's not saying, I, uh, say, oh, I'm like one of those radical atheists. No, no. I just, uh, my world revolves around me. What does the living God have to do with what I do? What the world does God have to say to me? I am the master of my own fate. I will not go to a church that preaches the Word of God. I will not go to a church that doesn't say what, what I want to hear. In the last days, Timothy, know this will happen, for they will produce teachers that know how to itch the ear. Now, he said that 2,000 years ago. Do you think it's been fulfilled? You're a minority camp, by the way. We're a minority. And unless you and I have a part in seeing a new generation saved, we are destined to close because we, be, we will be selling the building and get out of the church business because our kind of Christianity may not be acceptable. But I plan to go to my grave having a church where I fear God, where God speaks, where what God says matters, and not what man is. Man shall not run me. If I should seek to please men, I would cease to be the servant of God. Paul said, we fear the living God. We're doing our ministry not because of you Corinthians. We're doing our ministry not because it's easy. We're not doing our ministry because we're immune from criticism, stones, beatings, rejection. We do it because Christ told me when he saved me, you will suffer great things, Paul. And I said, yes, sir, I'm at your command. That's why you have to minister or you will throw in the towel. My father used to talk about iron workers and drag-up artists. And the drag-up artists would be guys hanging out in the local iron workers hall in Oakland. And maybe they'd been out of work for some time. But a lot of times when the guys hang out there, they're playing cards all day, smoking, maybe having a drink. Boom, they get called to a job. Drag-up artist goes out. Sees, as my father did, a greasy job, maybe a lot of grease on it, going to be kind of hard on your wardrobe. A, a lot of timbers that they'd have to stack them for cranes and balancing the crane. There's going to be a lot of bull work, they would call it, a lot of grunt work and everything. And a guy would come out there and said, oh, oh no, uh, I'll stay till noon, write me up. I'm looking for an easier job. And they called them drag-up artists. 
when they found out there's some work to it, they bailed out. I'm going back to the hall. I just soon play poker as a way through all this, even if I don't bring home any money. There's a lot of drag-up artists in the church. The moment they find out it takes work to prepare a lesson, it takes work to be there to help in Awana, it takes work to share the gospel, it takes work and sweat to have a worship choir, to be in the band. It takes work to be an usher. It takes work to be a giver. It takes work. Friend, we're going to do like Winston. We offer you blood, sweat, and tears, but we will not abdicate to a lazy, godless Christianity that you don't tell me what to do. Well, what, who are you telling what to do? Paul said, I... I fear God. What he says, I will do. In verse 14, he said, Besides that, the love of Christ constrains me that if he would die for all, I should preach to all. I should go to all. I should try to reach everyone that he died for. And his love for me is constraining me. It's pressuring me. I'm under constraint uh, uh, his love keeps pushing me out of my comfort zone, keeps pushing me through the stones and the beatings. I mean, chapter 11 is, is appalling. No man should have survived what he went through there, but he's saying, I keep going because the love of God in me constrains me to go to the Gentile world, the most unlikely people that a rabbinic Jew would ever want to be with. We don't even eat with the Gentiles, let alone go and live among them and use my leather trade and my tent-making trade. I will employ myself that I might reach a people I was taught all my life to hate. Why? I believe God died for Irishmen, for Italians like Cornelius. I believe he died for Germanic people. I believe he died for those in Africa. I believe he died for all I will preach to all because I feel constrained. I'm constrained with it. A heartbreaking chapter is chapter 6 where he starts telling the Corinthians, uh, you don't love me. You don't like me because you're constricted within. And it's a Greek word to crowd the intestines with gas, basically, that there's no breathing room, there's no space. And he says, you, uh, I don't find any problem loving you Corinthians, but I find that you're cramped, strained to love me. And I actually had a man use that to me as he said, you know what? I'm no longer your friend. And he said, do you want me to tell you why? And I said, well, I don't know that I want to know why, but go ahead. He said, well, one thing, he said, at one time you had everything I wanted, and I think I've got all of it that I, I need. So he said, you no longer bring to me the things I need. And so, okay. And then he said, and I've lived with 2 Corinthians 6. I'm strained to love you. It's a strain for me to love you because my heart is constricted about you. I used to love you. I used to get so much from you. 
This is an honest condition. Nobody told me about this man's telling me. He said, it's a strain for me to love you. But I've noticed through the relationship you keep loving me back. I said, well, it's not a strain to me when I'm right with God. And here the apostle saying, I'm compelled to tell you because the love of God that provided the cross and brought a Savior from the third world and came down to the ghetto of this earth and the outhouse of this earth, to quote a Luther, to the mess of this earth, to bring me into my shame, into my world of chaos. If the God of the universe could so love me that much to bring him, that same love has been poured out in my heart so that I'm willing to pass it on. That's what he's saying. The reason evangelism doesn't take place is our hearts have shrunk. The reason we don't share is, uh, you know, when you don't want to share about how beautiful this gal you're going to marry, there's something wrong in the relationship. When you no longer have that compulsion to share that good news. I love the story of when uh, Moody went with Ira Sankey to England. And, of course, Moody was a Chicago salesman, a shoe salesman, went there and he slaughtered English. Uh, He was just a Midwestern, as it were, country boy compared to the finesse and the station of the English people. But nevertheless, he he had invitations to go to England and he went. Ira Sankey would sing the 90 and 9 and men would wipe their eyes because it was such a moving, moving song. While he was there, a preacher, an English preacher came up to him, happened to be very thin, kind of a bony maroney. And uh, I grew up on that song. And uh, uh, was beardless. And that was quite a thing. In that day, if you were beardless, you were considered feminine or not quite masculine enough. Because Spurgeon had the heavy beard, Moody did, and... That was kind of a mark of masculinity, and that's why Grant has grown his beard, see? (laughs) He represents Duck Dynasty now. (laughs) And uh, this preacher asked Moody, he said, uh, hey, I want to go to America, and uh, would I be able to preach for you? And uh, Moody you know, kind of put on the spot, oh, yeah, just let, let us know if, if you ever get there. And like, this won't happen. You know, a lot of guys want to preach for you or ask, hey, would you have me over? And you said, yeah, oh, yeah. You never expected him to come, but he did. When he landed in New York, he sent him a telegram and said, I'm headed for Chicago, and I look forward to speaking for you. Moody... Uh, carefully arranged his schedule so that he'd be out of town. And he went to another speaking engagement so that he could tell him, I I won't be in town. But then he decided, well, I won't be. I'll let him do the midweek Bible study. You know, that's when just the elect few come. I'll, I'll let him on then. Well, sure enough, he showed up in town, told the deacons, 
let him teach Wednesday night. And okay, fine. He comes back on Saturday, and he's asking his wife, well, uh, how did the Englishman do? She said, uh, well, he's preached every night since you've been gone. He said, what? He said, they love him. They, and he said, well, well what, what's he preaching on? Said, well, every night it's John 3.16. He said, every night? He said, every night. As a matter of fact, the deacons have booked him to preach Sunday morning and Sunday night. And Moody said, whoa, what's going on? And his wife said, he said, well, well what's so different about him than me? He said, well, you seem to have used the Bible as an ammunition depot where you run to and you hurl bombs at people. You use the Bible like ammunition to mow people down. He keeps telling people God loves them, and they melt. Moody says to himself, I got to hear this. I got to hear this. He went there and sat through the meetings on Sunday, in which Sunday morning, he preached John 3.16. That night, he preached John 3.16. People were being saved in every service. Saints were being melted every service. And uh, Moody said, my life was forever changed hearing the skinny, beardless preacher preach the immeasurable love of God so that people were melted every night. Paul says... God's love for me constrains me to love you and to tell you about that love. What about us? Have we lost our message? It's amazing how much bad news you go just going to church. When God's people don't know what to do, they murmur. Israelites said, we don't like Moses, we don't like manna, uh, we, uh, the cloud's kind of nice. We do get a shade, and we do need some heat at night, but we don't like where we are. We don't like the journey. We don't like what God is doing. We're going to murmur. And so all of a sudden, you got two men named Joshua and Caleb with a bunch of uh, another generation, nieces uh, and nephews, and, and, the, and, and the kids are saying, man, I wish Mama could be going across with us. And I wish Daddy could be here. said, well, God had to kill them because they'd rather murmur than believe me. We're the only two of the generation that will go across because the others murmured themselves to death. Is the love of God constraining us about anything? Or have we learned to be critics, gripes, and negative? Is there any good news left? He goes on the third reason he keeps going. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, he has become a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. Uh, this is radical. Listen to him. 
Paul said, I came to Corinth, the city known for being the fornication capital of Asia Minor, the pornography center of the ancient world. I came to moon worshiper, God worshiper, sex worshiper, a bunch of idols, idols on every corner. I stopped by uh, Athens, and all they did is debate it all day on Mars Hill on what was the latest philosophy, and some even made an idol to an unknown God. I went to the pagans. I went to an obnoxious people who'd rather run through the streets naked to celebrate sex and the Olympics. He said, this is who I went to. But let me say, you Corinthians, when I preach the love of God and out of the fear of God, I saw God make brand new creations out of many of you. Everywhere I go, I'm seeing God change men. I minister because I want to see people changed. I thought, here's some of the things that change. Here's some of the old things. No one, first thing, I'm no longer seen in Adam. You were born in the wrong family. You were born in a family of crooks, murderers, murmurers, liars, and hell-bound people. That's, we all were born that way. The moment you come to Christ, that history is cut off. Two, I'm no longer condemned before God. He will never condemn me again. He that comes to me will not be condemned. So that's gone. I'm no longer going to be in the divine court. Three, I no longer face divine wrath. Four, I'm no longer a slave of sin. If you're a Christian, you are not a slave of sin. You are not a slave of sin. You are not a slave of sin. Romans 6. Quit acting like it. Reckon on it. I've died with Christ. My history and tie to sin has been ended. I'm not the same creation I was 20 minutes before I believed. My identity's been changed. According to Galatians 3, when I come before God, he no longer asks me what gender I am. He doesn't ask me what my ethnicity is. He doesn't ask if I'm rich or poor. He said, I see you clothed in Christ. Come on up. Let's talk. What did I put on? What's new? I'm seen in Christ. I'm declared righteous before God. I've been redeemed from the slavery of sin. I'm crucified with Christ and risen with him. I become a member of God's family and a co-heir with Christ. I'm a member of the royal cabinet. I'm going to help him reign over the nations. I'm going to help him judge all people, 1 Corinthians 6. We shall judge men and angels someday. The saints, the saints, us. I'm forgiven, adopted, sealed, booked for heaven. And any moment, that all happened to me just when I believed the gospel. You see, there's a lot of step programs. Twelve steps probably helped millions of people fight alcohol and a program here and that. But Paul didn't know the 12-step program. He only knew the one-step one. Christ alone will change you. You will no longer be what you were. You will no longer be a drunk. 
You'll no longer be a slave to sin. You will no longer. We don't hardly believe it in the church, but God changes people eternally that he saves. He changes us from crooks, from immoral, from drunks, from drug addicts. Quit acting like our gospel does not save. It saves. If you would only believe it, and if you'd only share it, it saves. I'm not afraid of you, drug addict. I've got the cure. That's why we want you to come to this church. We're going to tell you a plan that you will get rid of the old and you will put on the new. One man said everybody was being amazed about Jesus turning water to wine. He said, oh, that's nothing. He said, in my house, he turned Jack." Uh, Daniel's into milk for my kids. I quit being at the bar. I quit spending my check every week. Now I feed my kids. I quit whipping my wife all because I met Jesus through a gospel preacher. My mother lived with such a man. He was a, a, a drunk Irish coal miner in Missouri in Oklahoma, but in the last years of his life, while he's dying of TB, God saved her father. No more fights. No more drunkenness. As the old gospel song said, that day I got saved, Doug Oldham would say, I went where my little boy and girl used to run and hide. They now run to me. I got a gospel, Paul said, that takes a man or a woman, and they went from this to this in a moment when they believed Christ. Just think, I could be a thief and go from going to hell to paradise if I get one word from Jesus. I'll see you in paradise. You notice you didn't say, I'll see you in the in-between. I'll see you there. Oh, I wish we believed half of what we preach. I don't care if you take notes. I wish God would burn your heart with this. He finally says, I go through what I'm going through because I want to see men reconciled to God. And he says that that word reconciliation, we could be there all day. It, it's a, but, but listen to this. God who reconciled him to himself. This is the father. Through his son. Gave us, the apostle, Christian workers, gave us the ministry, the message, the opportunity of reconciling men to God. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. Not counting people's sins against them. This is my message. God has charged another with your sins. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He has put it in the hands of the people who were his enemies. Preach this good news to fellow sinners. Tell them I'm not charging them with their sins. I've charged it to my son. 
Oh, we don't get it. We don't get it. Your sins are not being charged to you. Romans 4, Paul said, David said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not charge him for his sins. Oh, if you believed it, oh, this place would be packed, and we'd be winning our family, we'd be running. You couldn't stop. You wouldn't be a drag-up artist. There's no other message that will change a man. There's no other message. I don't care. Come up with all the philosophies. No message can turn a pagan into a worshiper of the Lamb. That take, get them out of the prostitution brothels of Corinth and get them leading sisters to the Lord. Get them off a second in McDonald, drunken in their own vomit, and turn them into a saint that loves the Word of God. Only Jesus in this message. Only this. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. All that we believed in. All that we believed in. We get weary of it. Oh, I don't want to. How many on the mercy team? Well, let's see. Uh, there's Aisha. When she's about seven months pregnant, she'd be there. And we had another sister. I can't, don't see her. And that'd be me, Sean, Edwin. For a church of a thousand people, there'd be five of us, two of our sisters, a paid pastor that gets paid to be good. The rest of you are good for nothing. Uh, and, and so, you know, this is the evangelism outreach of this church. Because the rest don't believe it's that, that important to share it. It doesn't set anybody free. Maybe you don't, you haven't been reconciled yet. Are you here and you're still in sin? You're still, you've never accepted the terms of the reconciliation. Listen, and he has committed to us. The church, the apostle, of course, beginning with him. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. You call home your ambassadors when you're ready to declare war. You send ambassadors when you're trying to make peace. And he said, God is not yet totally at war. He's got his ambassadors in the world, you and I. As though God <laughs> were making his appeal through us. Can you imagine that God would beg men to come to Christ through us. We implore you, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, God the Father made him who had no sin to be sin. He didn't make him a sinner, he made him sin. He never sinned, but he, he transferred our guilt our liabilities to him. And at the same time, he transferred his riches, his righteousness, his standing to us in one moment. I want you to know the work's finished. 2,000 years ago, I nailed your debt to my son. In time, I'll make it yours. You just got to believe him. But the work's been done. There's nothing yet to be done. 
a man came to a tent revivalist in the Midwest, and they were breaking down the tent. They'd been preaching there for weeks. And he came. Uh, when they were breaking down the tent, they're ready to move on. And he came to the evangelist and said, wait, wait, you can't be leaving. The guy said, it's too late. We're, we're, we're moving on to the next town. And the guy said, what can I do? What can I do to be saved? He said, you're too late. You're too late. And the man began to cry out. He said, wait, 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 what can I? He said, what can I do? He said, you can't do anything. It's been done 2,000 years ago. You just have to believe and receive it. God took the initiative to reconcile us, to bring us home. I did the sinning, he did the saving. It's like the man trying to join a Calvinistic church, and they asked him, said, how did you get saved? He said, I did my part, and God did his part. And the Calvinistic brethren got a little offended, said, well, uh, what do you mean? He said, well, I did the sinning and the running, and God did the chasing and the saving. That was, that was my part. He reconciled sinners. And when he did that, people debate, well, God didn't have to be reconciled. But theologically, before it's over, there's something that happened to God at the cross. He said, I don't have to hate them anymore, though I hate their sins. And I don't have to, um, I won't have to chase them to hell anymore. I'll send preachers to preach because I'm no longer angry. I've been satisfied. And so he sent preachers. He sent missionaries to preach. You know, um, what I miss about my roots, as my father said, we grew up with a lot of corn-fed, ignorant preachers. That's what my dad would say. And he was a fourth-grade educated man himself. But none of our preachers in the Pentecostal groups I ran with were educated. They did good if they owned Matthew, Henry, and a Cruden's Concordance. If they had ten books they owned, they were doing good. But it's the last place I ever heard preachers preach and cry at the same time. Come to Jesus. I'm begging you, son, come. Come. And it'd be like they're preaching right to me. Right to me. I, I resisted many a time, and I would say as an unsaved boy, even going to church, God help me, I don't want to get saved tonight. I would tell him. I, I'm not ready to break up with my girlfriend. I'm not ready to break up with the guys I run around to steal and fight with. And I know I'm going to be moved because they sing softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, come home. I can't stand it. It breaks my heart. There was so, emo so much emotion in the begging of sinners. I actually heard preachers, they were poor preachers but great beggars. What I'm afraid most of our churches are, we've lost the begging. We've lost pre weeping preachers because the conservative white church is so afraid of emotion that it's dead. The balance, the balance we want around here, we want doctrinal truth, and I want experience. 
and the church seemed to teeter-totter between that. What happened in our elders' meeting yesterday is God decided to kiss the earth, and we were in the middle of the smack. Heaven came down in that prayer meeting. I can't describe it. I can't describe it. I used to go to services. People say, how was the service? I said, we can't describe it. You had to be there. In many churches, you simply say, well, they read the bulletin, and they droned on for 40 minutes. I was no closer to heaven being there than if I'd been at a bar because we've lost the fear of God. We've lost the love of God. We've lost believing God can make a new creation out of you. And we're not preaching good news. I am with this. Seeing so many World War II movies and just watching one recently, what's the one, The Ridge, Hacksaw Ridge or something, incredible story of a conscientious objector, how he served in that war. But so many war pictures, you see uh, them delivering the mail on the behalf of a grateful nation. We are thankful for the life of your son who at 19 took a bullet in the head in Iwo Jima. My wife's father was there. We want to thank you. His body will be coming. And we'll give you a wrapped flag to say we thank you that he took a bullet for the United States of America. And when you see some of these pictures, every delivery is another death sentence. Mothers, I mean, very emotional. Carolyn's uncle was captured in the Philippines early by the Japanese. He was captured about 1940, 41 in there. When we just started, when we just entered the conflict with Japan, he was captured. And he was engaged to Mildred before the war. And uh, after serving in a concentration camp, infected with amoebic dysentery, he went from what he weighed, he was about 95 pounds when he came down the gangplank in San Francisco. And uh, his mom and dad were there. His engaged girlfriend, who had waited four and a half years, didn't see anybody else because I gave you a promise. I'll be here when you come back, if you come back. Carol's mother was the only one in the group that recognized him. His own mom and dad didn't know him. His girlfriend didn't know him. He lived with diseases from that, in, that camp experience the rest of his life. Never got rid of all the bugs in his intestines. But God hasn't called us to hand out death sentences. He needs some folks that likes to share good news with sinners. We got some good news. And I'm always trying to convince the saints. Is it good enough to share? 
Can your family make it or anything? Your mom and daddy are going to hell without this good news being believed and received. Are you telling them? Your neighbors, your children. You see, I got a bunch of unsaved grandchildren. I know. You think, oh, well, they're preacher's kids. Oh, no, no. Being a preacher's kid, more liable to go to hell. Sick of church. But I don't want them to be sick of Jesus. I want them to get beyond church and get to Jesus. I pray for little AJ. He's one of my prayer projects. He's eight years old. He stays with his daddy one weekend, stays with his mom the other weekend. Daddy's got a live-in girlfriend. His mother has a live-in boyfriend. How, what's this eight-year-old supposed to make of everything? I just say, don't let him get hurt. We're just saving. Would you put your arms around a little brown boy that I call my grandson? I want him to go to heaven. He goes to Iwana because he loves the games, but he didn't like said through the lesson. I said, oh, no. But what's my phone every trip because he can he contact everybody. He's got all the rappers. He's got everybody. At eight, who's going to tell you family if you don't? Let me tell you why you shouldn't drag up. You fear the Lord. Two, his love's been poured out in your heart. You started out that way. Have you lost it? In the last days, the love of many will wax cold. Ephesus, you've left your first love. Laodicea, I'm going to spit you up because you've lost the boil. When he said they lost their zeal in the Greek, it's a word to boil. You no longer boil for me. You've become bored with God. Church is boring. The Bible's boring. The Spirit's boring. And you've been so long since you've had a good prayer meeting, you, you, you become bored with your You're having no experience. But you, uh, you can say you know a lot of doctrine. So what? So does the de- devil. What are you experiencing? Do you ever shed any tears crying over sinners? Then I just ask you, if you're going to be God's mailman, he's written good news. Don't tell him what's wrong with the church. Tell him what's right about Jesus. Tell him what's right about Jesus. Our Father, we're absolutely desperate before you in this cold, cold age. Some way would you turn up the temperature in this church. Turn it up in every heart. Turn it up in mind. Make us love you like we did at the beginning. Make us think you're worth everything, everything, everything that you are Lord, not us. That whatever you say dictates what we do. If we're quenching the Spirit, Lord, take us, get us off the air hose, get us off of it. May you be welcome to do whatever you want in this church. It's your church. You're the pastor. You're the head. You're the preeminent one. I'm not serving men. I'm serving a risen, crucified Savior. Jesus, we're all going to see you soon. We're all going to stand before you. May we live our lives so as not to bless on the day we see you. Forgive us 
for our murmuring, our being quiet. We talk about what we shouldn't talk about, and we're quiet about what we ought to be talking about, the gospel. God wants to save you, young lady. He wants to save you, young man. And he will not charge you for any of your sins if you'll believe in his son. I ask you, while you have your head bowed, I ask you this. Why are you serving? Ask, what are your motives? Two, I ask you this. Why are you not serving? Are you a bystander? Are you a critic of how the game's being played? but you're not involved? And thirdly, I ask, is there anybody here that you'd like to become a new creation? You'd like for your marriage, your life, your future to change today if you would but receive Christ in a moment before you leave this place today, God can make you into a brand new creation and put you in Christ and put your sins forever behind you. This is God's gospel. I didn't make that up. That's what God has gone on record, and he's commissioned me to tell men, come, accept God's terms of reconciliation, which where my son will die in your place on the cross, will you accept him? Accept him, and you'll be reconciled to God. Today, if you want to be saved, if you want to be reconciled, We'll be in the front. There'll be other godly men and women. We're waiting for you. The next move is yours. God's done everything that needs to be done. The next move is yours. Come, come. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Come, let us reason together. Come, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, come. Jesus has come. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Sin is heavy. Sin is terrible. Come. I'll take the load off and give you eternal life. Come, oh come. Come to Christ and be changed forever. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name, in his wonderful name. Tim, bring me that hymnal. I want to lead them in a hymn. Don't faint. These are called songbooks. These are never updated. You follow me. Stand. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. 275, God bless you, you're dismissed.